All right, good morning. Well, uh, today we begin a, um, a new study, a new series, a new um, Sunday School series through the Book of Romans. I'm really excited about this. Um, let me make sure this is all... Kind of our, our outline today is, is going to be an introduction to the book of Romans and kind of an introduction to this series. Um, uh, basically, here's, here's what we're going to cover today. I want to just start with a few introductory notes about this series um, and then try to you know, do what is, what is fair anytime we begin a new series. Why this series? Why now? Why are we doing this? Um, then we're going to briefly look at just a couple of general details about the book of Romans and kind of um, try to center in on the central message of Romans so as we, we kind of, uh, again, get a good idea of the forest so that we can properly understand the trees. Um, so just jumping right in, um, this is going to be a 16 to 18 week series. Uh, essentially, my goal is to take a chapter a week. Some chapters we're going to be, you know, going to stretch. Probably, um, we might have to cover them in two weeks. Uh, but you know, it's not a verse by verse study through the Book of Romans, uh, but rather a chapter by chapter study through the Book of Romans. As, as um, obviously, as the Lord blesses um, our, our endeavor here. Um, yeah, so I want to grasp the, the book's central message. That's the goal here of the study, is, is not to, again, break down every verse, but to give you a good idea of the big picture. Um, I do have a special request that um, you read each chapter uh, beforehand each week. That's going to help in our discussion. It's going to help you kind of get a, a grasp on, on what we're going to be talking about. Um, but, um, you know, um, if our a chapter each week is our goal, then, you know, reading a chapter before the Lord's Day each Sunday shouldn't be a problem. Um, I'm going to try to note in the bulletin each week what our chapter is going to be. So if you look at our bulletin today, for example, and I say I'm going to try this because sometimes uh, I might forget. Next Sunday, Romans chapter 1. So... You know then that next Sunday we're going to be looking at Romans 1. You can read that in the week ahead of time to prepare for our study. I also got a note here about memorizing the book's outline. I had to do this in seminary. It's actually one of the questions that I was posed during my ordination council. Um, they asked me to outline the book of Romans. And we're going to talk about why that might be important here in a few minutes when we talk about the, the, the central message of the book. But... Um, it's not hard to do, and yes, it's 16 chapters, but um, you know, memorizing a 16-point outline is, is not that difficult. It's very, very important. Um, I'm going to argue that Romans is a kind of a mini-systematic theology, so if you've got a good grasp of the outline of Romans, you have a, a really solid grasp of the gospel, and um, it'll serve you well. You know, just think about, yeah, Romans 1, okay, the wrath of God is revealed and um, against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men and who suppress the truth and all the details of sin. And then chapter 2, uh, Paul turns to the Jews and says, don't think that just because you have the law that you're any better because you don't obey the law. And then chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen, under the, uh, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. 
but now this righteousness has been revealed um, in the person and work of, the G- of Jesus Christ. And then justification by faith in chapter 4, and, and then uh, peace with God, chapter 5, and, and then he goes into sanctification and the struggles of the Christian life, and, and so on from there. So it's good if you're able to grasp the general outline of the book, and um, I would highly encourage that if you've never done that before. So um, that's kind of a, an introduction of, I guess, the series itself. And, and my goal and my hope in that. Um, it's fair to answer the question now. Why this study? Why are we doing this right now in the life of our church? Um, I will say that when I was in seminary talking to professors and pastors who were, of course, pouring into me and to us, um, preparing us for ministry... Uh, it was widely recommended that for um, a, a minister uh, in the early days to do a series, particularly a, a, a teaching or preaching series, through the book of Romans. Um, it, it was recommended because it's, just, it's so foundational to everything else in the life of the church. It's so foundational theologically. And uh, the kind of, uh, I remember J.B. Fesco really nailing this down in pastoral ministry class. He, he said, you want people to know the gospel. You want people to know and trust you as you teach them the gospel. So you start with the gospel. You start with what's most central. Um, we decided not to do that here. I, I went with John initially. Uh, the sermon series through the book of John. That's how we started out this church plant, just because of the specifics of, of this church. Um, and then, of course, we moved on to the Old Testament and then back to Ephesians because our focus was really on constituting. Uh, but I think it's a good time now um, that, you know, we've been constituted a year, just over a year. We've got a good core. It's good to, to go back to these foundational issues. And so that's my kind of personal explanation for, for why we're doing this now. Um, but also, I mean, we've done a lot of topical series in Sunday school, but we've done very few in-depth studies of Scripture. It's good for us to study a book of the Bible, uh, not just deal with, you know, different topics that we think are important in our day and age. Um, it, it's also um, an easy study for group discussion. Um, you know, we're talking about Scripture. Uh, these are things that you're already familiar with. If I'm talking about, I don't know, the nature of humanity, there's a lot of philosophy and there are lots of things that we cover that you're, you're kind of new to. But this you should be comfortable with and you can offer that, that feedback. Um, and, and also other men can, can jump in and, and just pick up uh, where needed. You know, I, I need a break or I've got too much going on or want to give someone an opportunity. Okay, you've got Romans chapter 5 this week. It's very easy. You don't have to be kind of, you know... Um, I guess, well-versed in all the other details of the topic. You just jump into the text of Scripture. So um, that is kind of some logistics of why we're doing this study. Um, But more specifically, I want to argue that Romans is the nearest thing to a systematic theology that we have in Scripture. Um, the breadth and the depth of its doctrinal treatment is, is really astounding. Um, it, it covers so much. And if you 
are well versed in this book, uh, I do believe that you'll be able to handle adequately any other topic, any other book in Scripture. Um, this is really going to give you the tools that you need to properly handle other issues, other doctrines, other books. In fact, uh, as I'm going to argue, I, I believe it's the key to interpreting all of Scripture. Um, if I can speak that way about one book, uh, about its prominence in the New Testament, perhaps the most important book in the New Testament, if we can speak that way, because they're all important, right? They all stand and fall together in one sense. But, it, it, you know, uh, because of its breadth and depth, uh, it, it really is the key. If you get Romans, you can interpret anything else in Scripture. And um, it's not just my opinion, it's, it's this man's opinion. Uh, John Calvin, he said here, Romans is the entrance to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. He's saying it's the key to interpreting all the other things in Scripture. And then he goes on to say the subject of these chapters may be stated as thus. Man's only righteousness is through the mercy of God in Christ, which being offered by the gospel is apprehended by faith. That's the, that is the gospel. And if you don't get that, you don't get anything. Right? If, if you don't understand that your righteousness does not come from your own doing... That your standing before God is not based upon your behavior, your goodness, your efforts, but it's solely based upon Jesus Christ, given to us in the gospel, apprehended, grasped, received by faith. Um, if you don't understand that, you don't understand anything. And you can't deal with any topic in Scripture. Justification, sanctification, glorification, nothing. So... Romans is really key. And that's why we're doing this study. It's a good answer, right? <clears throat> uh, another reason we're doing this study is that, uh, and I don't have like set built-in times for questions today. I'm just kind of going through material. If you have something, just raise your hand. Um, yeah. Many argue, another reason why this study, many argue that no book of the Bible in history has been so instrumental in changing lives. Um, there are many famous figures in church history who credit their conversion to Christ to this book. Well, I guess this, this is a, a built-in question here. So let me ask you, can you name any? Oscar. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Excellent. You're right. We're going to talk about him. Chandler? Augustine. Okay. Nathan? I did not know that. Whoa. <laughs> Every Christian should have Romans memorized. Wow. I've memorized Psalm 1. <laughs> Any others? John Newton. I'm not familiar with that one either. I think you've got another John I'm going to talk about, though. So, um, Yeah, so um, the first one, um, Augustine. Um, if you know the story of Augustine, he lived a very immoral lifestyle. Um, he had given himself to the study of pagan philosophy. Uh, but one day he was depressed. 
and he was downcast. God often uses our depression and our sorrows and troubles in life to lead us to a knowledge of the truth. He was walking in a garden, and some little children were playing, and they were playing a child's game, which in Latin, uh, the refrain was a, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, tole gay, is that it? Who can pronounce Latin here? Um, basically, it means pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And um, as the story goes, he recounts in Confessions, his eyes fell upon a copy of the New Testament. He picked it up and he opened it at random. Um, thankfully, he didn't open up, you know, to, you know, how the story goes, right? Judas went and hanged himself. He flipped into the pages and he pointed again and you go and do likewise. Um, no, but he picked it up at random and he just opened it at random and he read the portion of Romans in Romans 15 that says this, beginning verse 11, the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." That is the passage that pierced his soul and that he credits his conversion to Christ. It's a passage I'm going to reference in the sermon today as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, Augustine, yeah, uh, it's mid, mid 340s, I want to say, 330s, 340s, so. Yeah. Yeah, the New Testament was was still fairly recent, uh, particularly in relation to um, you know the distance between us and the New Testament. He was really at the early ages. Say what? Yeah, in fact, um, yeah, I think Augustine kind of played a role in that as well uh, as one of the early church fathers, not informing the canon, but uh, it's still at a time when. There was still some discussion and, and debate on, on what was scripture and what wasn't. Yeah, it, it is astounding when you when you hear that. Uh, just you know, today we have oh, it's the Bible, it's the sacred book, and and we all revere it. But back then, it was much different. He's coming up across something that was fairly new, that wasn't widely accepted, and yet the Word of God brought him to new faith, uh, to life, to new life. Oscar mentioned Luther. Uh, this is a thousand years later. Um, <clears throat> Luther was tormented in his soul. If you know his story, he'd become a monk. Um, not because he loved God, not because he wanted to devote himself to God, but because he was scared of divine punishment. You know, uh, what's the story? He was on horseback and lightning struck and he fell to his knees and said, Okay, Lord, I give up. I'm going <laughs> uh, to become a monk. I'm going to make you happy. Um, he said of his time before, before conversion, if you had asked me, did I love God, I would say, love God? Sometimes I hated him. I saw Christ as a terrifying judge who had the sword of judgment over my head, and I had no peace. So he had a very negative view of God. 
but on one occasion, he was preparing a series of lectures on the book of Romans. He's poring over manuscripts, and he came to chapter 1, verse 17, which reads, In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He said, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words. The expression, the righteousness of God, blocked the way. Because I took it to mean that the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God. I rather hated and murmured against him. So he saw this righteousness of God as that which I can never obtain, and it makes me angry. Because God expects what man is simply unable to do. But then he says, When I read those words, suddenly it dawned on me that the righteousness of God, of which Paul was speaking, was not that righteousness by which God himself is righteous, that righteousness that makes God so excellent and virtuous and transcendent in His holiness that makes me terrified of Him. But rather, Paul is expounding on another theme. Not only the righteousness of God by which God Himself is righteous, but that righteousness that God makes available to us who are not righteous. The righteousness of God that is granted to us as a gift in faith. That righteousness that is given to us through the righteousness of Christ, an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness that is granted to us for our own possession. And then Luther went on, when I understood that, and when the concept of justification by faith alone burst into my mind, suddenly it was like the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. <coughs> it's a beautiful story. Um, and that is really what led to the conversion, excuse me, the, um, um, the recovery of the gospel in Germany and throughout Europe in the Protestant Reformation, is Romans chapter 1. So Romans was very instrumental, was instrumental in these two huge giants of the Christian faith, bringing them to faith in Christ. Another one's John Wesley, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry if you're a, Really strong, high Calvinist um, that I have to share this with you. Um, John Wesley, we have some theological disagreements with Wesley, um, but I do believe that he was a genuine believer. If you read his Christian life and his conversion, it is still pretty amazing. Ian Murray, uh, the great Calvinist banner of truth guy, wrote a biography on, on Wesley that I'd highly recommend just to, you know, uh, try to maybe soften your disdain for him somewhat because of some of the things that he said but but with uh with john wesley um he went to this um meeting in the heart of of london and was not a believer uh, but he sat there and someone was reading the preface to luther's um commentary on romans and he says i felt my heart strangely warmed i felt i did trust christ christ alone for salvation and assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins even mine and save me from the law of sin and death. So there have been a lot of Christians in church history. This is just three of many 
Uh, Karl Barth would be another one. J- uh, John Stott would be another one. Maybe John Newton. I don't know. I don't remember. Could be another one. But have read the book of Romans and through the book of Romans have been brought to a saving knowledge of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a great book. It's an important book. It's done many great things in the history of the church. J.B. Fesco thus says, Christians who willingly ignore this epistle do so to the impoverishment, 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 I can't even say that, in detriment of their faith. You get the point. Can't ignore this epistle um, without bringing great harm and shallowness to our, our faith and our Christian walk. So that's why this study. And we're doing good on time. Any questions, comments? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. I think maybe we're talking about reading John um, or Mark, people who aren't familiar with Jesus, or maybe think of him as a good man. And, and, and that was, of course, very prominent in the early, uh, maybe a generation ago, with the onslaught of Protestant liberalism, um, higher critical theory, uh, critical theory, sorry, um, <laughs> higher criticism. <laughs> um, well, critical, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, where you had so many people saying, well, Jesus is a great teacher, but he's not God. And so the impetus there was, well, read, read John. John makes it very clear who Jesus was. Um, but you're right. I think that the best place to start, perhaps, um, to know what the Bible teaches is to read the book of Romans and to read it again and again and again. If you've never done so, I'd recommend something like, you know, it's 16 chapters, so 4, 8, 12, 16. If you read four chapters a day, four days in a row, that maybe take you 15 minutes. Um, you know, if you've never done something like read four chapters a day, 16, and then started over and done that for a month or two, you really should. Because you, you will get, th- you will begin to see things you didn't see the first time or second time or third time through. And you will begin to really grasp, again, the central message of Scripture. And uh, it will do your soul well. So, read Romans. A uh, few general details on Romans. Who wrote Romans? Well, the Apostle Paul. It is one of the books of the New Testament that even the higher critics pretty much agree. This is really Pauline. It's pretty universally undisputed that he was the author of Romans. When did he write it? He wrote it between 55 and 58 AD, most likely during his third missionary journey while he was in Corinth. Um, There were Christians in Rome that he had never met before, interestingly enough. That's why he says there in Romans 1.11 that um, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I, the speculation is he probably knew some of the believers there, but, but obviously not all of them. And there were many there that he did not know because uh, he hadn't been back in a while and that he wanted to, to rekindle his relationship with them. It is also good that we're studying Romans because, remember, the book of Mark was written to the church in Rome as well. So, um, you know, 
We're going through Mark and Sunday evenings. Um, it's a good combo. Um, why did he write Romans? Anyone want to take a shot at that? Only to be shown that you're wrong? Just kidding. Uh, well, there really is no clear objective reason from the text. Uh, there's no clear problem or controversy or question that he's answering. There's nothing there, you know, kind of like the, the, the book of Galatians. It's really clear, right? They've turned away from the gospel. He's writing with a very specific point in mind. There's, there's nothing real clear from the book. The book of First uh, and Second Thessalonians, clearly there's like a lot of stuff with the second coming of Christ going on in the church. Um, but with Romans, there's, there's not really anything that we can identify as, oh, okay, that's why he's writing. But the most prominent theme that does come out is Jew and Gentile relations, um, including the future of Israel according to the flesh. Remember, um, Romans 11 is that famous and most controversial chapter on the future of Israel. Um, so in some respect, there is that Jew-Gentile relation theme going on here. <coughs> Excuse me. But the gospel really receives a primary focus. And it receives that focus um, above and beyond the addressing of any other problem or situation in the church. The gospel of justification, sanctification, and glorification. And you might say, well, isn't every you know, book of the Bible about the gospel? Uh, yes, in some sense. But this is, again, more of a systematic, point-by-point detailing of the whole counsel of God regarding the gospel. <clears throat> That's really what Romans is about. Chapter and chap after chapter after chapter on the gospel. Think of 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of gospel in 1 Corinthians. But that's not what he addresses, does he? He talks about division in the church. He talks about sexual morality. He talks about marriage. He talks about, you know, food sacrifice to idols, the Lord's Supper, the, uh, the second coming of Christ. But in Romans, it's really just gospel. Um. So really, to understand, though, uh, the central message, excuse me, to understand why Paul wrote Romans, we, we must first grab, grasp its central message. I kind of already told you that the gospel is the central message. Um, um, but maybe more specifically, if we are, maybe more genuinely, I should say, not specifically, if we are to answer the question, what is this particular book about? What's the central message of this book about? Not just Romans, but any book. Um, how do we find that out? If I were to ask you, tell me, read the book of Philippians, and tell me what the central message is. How, how would you even begin finding that out? Besides, you know, picking up a commentary and saying, well, this favorite author of mine says this is the central message. What do Yes. Excellent. That's good. We examine words and themes that are repeated. Pretty obvious, right? Hopefully it is. That's why it's important, typically, not just to read through the Bible in a year, but 
If you want to really grasp the central message, read a book over and over and over again. Because then you begin to see the central message. You begin, begin to see the, the, the themes and words that are repeated. You know, sometimes in English, the same Greek word will be translated in two different ways. Well, it takes reading it over and over again till you begin to, your eyes begin to see that. Oh, well, two different words are used, but they, they really mean the same thing. This is a repeated theme. <coughs> I will say that's one of the goals of the ESV. The translators really tried to stick with uh, synonym, uh, use the same words. And, and the translators, the, their philosophy of translation intentionally tries to keep words translated the same in the same context so that you don't miss the themes. Right? I talked about last week, doulos, Greek word for slave. It can mean bond servant. It can mean servant. It can mean slave. Uh, well, ESV is like, okay, if we're dealing with the book of Galatians and, and doulos is used, we're going we're gonna to use the same word throughout this context so people understand this repeated theme so you don't get lost and think, oh, well, this refers to a slave, this refers to a bondservant. Um, truths that are spoken of at length, okay, so something's repeated, but also there's, there's a long kind of, you know, focus on this particular. It's not just mentioning something and moving on, but it's repeated. It's spoken of, it's expounded on, I should say. Another way, and this is what we're going to look at now, is the beginning and the end of the book. This is particularly important with epistles. Although, you know, I guess you could say it's true of other books as well. If you look at John, if you look at Mark, if you look at the beginning and the end, whoo, man, it's all there. Um, it's really uh, emphatic in Galatians as well. If you've ever noticed from Galatians, uh, the very, you got this odd phrase at the beginning, at the end of Galatians. Um, Gal- um, in, in 6.11, Paul, his final words, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And there's all these people who are like, what in the world is going on with that? Was he poor at eyesight? Is that why he's writing with large letters? Why does he say this? Well, it was very common in that day, uh, undoubtedly true of the New Testament as well, um, to use a scribe to write letters. Paul would dictate the letter to a, to a professional scribe. The scribe would generally put it in his own words and then give the manuscript to Paul and Paul would make corrections. Oh, I really meant this. I really meant to say this and give it back to him. But typical was that when you use the scribe, you always at the very end added a personal note in your own hand. That's what Paul's doing. Right here, he picks up the pen himself. He's saying, look, don't you recognize how I write? I write with large letters. So this is me now. And what he does, he, if you read the next uh, ten verses there, uh, eight verses there, he repeats things that have been repeated already throughout the epistle. He just kind of nails it down. Do you want to know the point of Galatians? Read 6, 11 through 18. Because Paul picks up his pen and says, okay, the scribes told you everything, now I'm telling you, I'm reinforcing it. This is me writing, this is, what, this is important. Same is true. In Romans, in a different sense. Not with a scribe, but with the beginning and the end of the book. There is an inclusio at the beginning and end of Romans. Again, what I want to show you now in our remaining ten minutes is 
the central message of Romans is shown to us in the beginning and the ending, in this inclusio. If you do have a Bible open, we're going to look at these two passages. Uh, What's an inclusio? Inclusio is like a sandwich, all right? Or maybe like a hot dog, Hannah? Oh, sorry, okay. Hot dog's not a sandwich. Um, Inclusio's bracketing. It's, it's bookends. Um, it's a literary device that an author will use to communicate something. Uh, essentially, well, what does that mean? Uh, the same language is used at the beginning and the end as an explanation and support for what's in the middle. So you don't miss the point. I'm beginning with this, I'm ending with this to show you this is the theme. This is the central message. This is what you must not miss. This is what all the middle is communicating, in case you missed it. So first, look at Romans uh, 1, 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures Uh, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, Gentile Romans, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I flip to the end of the book in Romans 16, 25 through 27. Keeping a finger in Romans 1. <clears throat> he concludes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, the prophetic writings have been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of the faith to the only wise God be glory forever more through Jesus Christ amen look at the underlining here chapter 1 we have set apart for the gospel chapter 16 according to my gospel which was promised beforehand. Then we have, was kept secret for long ages, but's now been disclosed. We have, concerning His Son, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. See, these are parallels. Same things being said. All this to say is the gospel, the good news, is the central message. It's the gospel that centers upon Jesus Christ. That's mentioned in 1.3 and 16.25. This gospel includes like real history. Hey, he's descended from David. Okay? It includes his death and resurrection. And the preaching of that gospel message to all the nations in order to bring about the obedience of the faith. These are things that both the beginning and the end teach us. More than this, I'm just going to spend three or four slides breaking this down. The gospel was promised beforehand in the Old Testament. This gospel that I'm writing you about, Romans, is not new. 
it was promised beforehand, and in 1625, it was kept secret for long ages, but it has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been known, made known to all the nations. In other words, Paul is saying the Old Testament contains the gospel in mysterious seed form. Mysterious not as in like, you know, some secret higher knowledge. Mysterious in the sense of, of, of something that was there but was not made obvious until later on. The gospel that I'm teaching you is in the Old Testament. It promised Jesus Christ. It spoke of His death and resurrection. It spoke of the salvation that would be accomplished in Him. It was promised through types and patterns and prophecies in Israel's history. For example, He's descended from David. That's a little key that I'm showing you here. Paul is saying, this gospel was there. Even the Gentile inclusion was anticipated for the sake of His name among all the nations. Has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings have been made known to all the nations. So what Paul is saying is, look, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you, this letter, what I'm writing to you, it reveals, it proclaims the gospel, not something that's new, but something that was present but hidden in the Old Testament and now is being fully revealed by the light of the New Testament. This is a central message of the book. And this is why it centers on Christ, why it centers on salvation, and why it centers on Jew and Gentile relations. This letter is living proof I'm showing you that the Old Testament gospel was there. And I'm going to show you from Abraham. I'm going to show you from David. I'm going to show you from Isaiah. I'm going to show you from the prophets. I'm going to show you from the Old Testament how it was there all along. And that's what he does in Romans. Chapter by chapter, he's unveiling the Old Testament gospel. Excuse me, the gospel that's revealed in the Old. He's showing them how It's all come to full revelation in Christ. That's why it's a key to Scripture. I said argue. It's a key to unlocking all of Scripture. It shows you what the Old Testament meant. Shows you why it was written. It reveals to us what it spoke of all along. So you understand Romans, you understand the Old Testament. You understand the Old Testament, you understand the New Testament. So, one last thing here. Oh, yeah, my, my point, sorry. That's why Romans is full systematic theology. It's a summary of the gospel in the Old and New Testament. One last thing, though, regarding this inclusio. Did you catch the repeated phrase? The purpose of the book. The purpose why I'm writing. The purpose of this gospel. 1-5, to bring about the obedience of faith. 16-26, to bring about the obedience of the faith. The purpose of the book is to bring about the obedience of the faith among all the nations. What does this mean? Obedience of the faith is Psalm 2 language. 
calling all the world to repent and to kiss the Son, to put their trust in Him, to submit to the King and Ruler of all the world. It's a call to to place our faith in Christ and to turn from sin and to put on holiness. Romans 13, Augustine, make no provision of the flesh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, put off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, salvation is near. It shows the, the folly of antinomianism, for example. Antinomianism, no law, no obedience. The purpose of the book is to, bring, to, to, to make people holy. To, make, to, to, to convert people from sinners to holy, obedient Christians. To bring about sanctification, to bring about faith, to bring about Christ-likeness. And so, that's why I think the, the thesis of the entire book is best summarized in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and the Greek. Here we see the gospel, proclamation of the gospel, preaching, Jew and Gentile relations, salvation, and the power of God to bring about the obedience of the faith. That's what the book is about. And so for our purposes in conclusion, our study, our aim also ought to be to bring about the obedience of the faith. Not in our own power, but relying upon the power of God to work salvation through the proclamation of His gospel. Our, our, our prayer, our, our goal, our endeavor in this study is for, for greater trust. Greater love, greater holiness, greater obedience. Because if, if we study Romans and we don't walk away in such a manner, then we fail to grasp the central message, which is to make us holy, to make us obedient. Well, <clears throat> that's a summary of the book's central message and our endeavor in this study. I hope it was helpful. Uh, next week, of course, we are going to tackle all of Romans 1. Um, so I encourage you to read Romans 1 sometime this week. Bring your questions. We're just going to work through the text and explain it. I don't, I'm not going to have a special outline and I'm just going to Read the text, and we're going to talk about it. Are there any closing, any last questions or comments or thoughts before we uh, end in prayer? Yes, Moses. I'm sorry, what? A little louder. Impoverishment. Um, you're impoverished. Poverty. You're you're. Um, that, that's speaking of being um, in lack of something. So, um, if we don't understand the book of Romans, we, are not, uh, we don't have the resources we need to live the Christian life. That would be a one way of putting it. Good question. Anything else?
Hey, are we excited about Romans? <laughs> Good Baptist back there, you know. Just going to get up and start chanting. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's close in prayer.